Hi, and welcome to Off the Sidelines, your guide to getting into early stage investment. The world needs a new generation of great companies, and please, we need your help. I'm your host, Chris Wink. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Technically, and I'm here with my friend, Abby Lee Moscone. Well, hello, friend. Hey, hey. So happy to be here. Off the Sidelines is here, thanks to support from Project Entrepreneur, a program sponsored by UBS. And we are here to dig into a conversation I had with this person. Hi, my name is Angela Lee, and I wear two hats. I am at Columbia Business School, where I teach courses on venture capital and leadership. And I'm also the Chief Innovation Officer, where I get to think about what Columbia Business School gets to look like in the future. And then I also run 37 Angels, which I started about six years ago. We invest in early stage startups, and we also teach people how to invest in startups. Angela has this really great mix of academia and real world application. She's a sought after expert on CNBC, Bloomberg TV, and Fox Business Network and is regularly featured in media outlets such as Forbes, The Huffington Post, Fast Company. Entrepreneur Magazine recognized Angela as one of six innovative women to watch in 2015 and Ally Watch named her as one of 100 NYC tech influencers you need to know. Abby, I have to say, uh, excellent job reading a bio. Well done. Why, thank you, sir. <laughs> Angela, am, I'm real good at reading. Excellent reader. Thank you. During my conversation with Angela, we got into both her academic view of the system of investing and her on-the-ground practice. And yes, I did ask her whether Shark Tank or low interest rates will be better remembered for the flood of early-stage cash in this era. Let's listen into the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Angela. I really appreciate uh, the chance to have a conversation with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. One of our goals here is to talk to people who who consider investing as an opportunity for them. And um, that could be someone who is a high net worth individual and, and angel pathway is viable for them, or they could want to be an LP with an existing an existing uh, firm's future fund. Um, it also could be folks who aren't perhaps high net worth individuals, but want to get into institutional investing at some point in their career. So you get to have a vantage point from a few different perspectives. Start us off with maybe culturally the difference between an angel investor and, and working at an institutionalized fund. Of course, there's lots of logistical differences, but is there a, a mindset? Is there an approach? Is there a cultural difference that you, you see for the types of people uh, and approaches? I think the biggest difference between an angel investor and maybe a more traditional venture capitalist is, frankly, autonomy, right? If you think about the way a GP, a general partner of a fund works, he or she is managing money on behalf of other people, their LPs, their limited partners. And so they have fiduciary responsibility and they tend to have some sort of investment thesis. They invest in enterprise or they invest in food or they invest in cannabis, whatever the case may be. Right. Whereas an angel, he or she's investing their own capital. And so as a result, we can do whatever we want with that money, which <laughs> on the one hand is great, um, but on the other hand... Um, also results in lots of weird and wacky investments. And so I think <laughs> you'll oftentimes hear that like angels are more patient capital. I, I do not think that is consistently true at all, <laughs> but certainly there's much more autonomy and freedom to do what they want with that money because it's their own. That's great. And uh, if you were having lunch with a, a friend, let's say that friend is a high net worth individual and they do think that, that they, they understand the risk tolerance, let's assume they grasp the, the real risk. So you've already given them that warning sign. Um, but they're in this broad crossroads of wondering if they might want to prioritize joining an angel network or, or taking their own dollars, using that autonomy, 
or they also have relationships with folks who perhaps are, are raising a fund and just want dollars in. Are, are there any early pieces of advice you would give to someone who is trying to begin making that choice between that split with their, with, with using their dollars? So the first thing I always tell people to do who are thinking about dabbling in the space is actually just to go to a couple of events because it's all very theoretical until you do that, right? So I always say go right. to a couple of demo days. In large cities like New York and Silicon Valley, there's probably three a day. So there's no shortage <laughs> of that you could go here. And you'll just get a sense, do you like that process, right? Do you like the process of hearing a founder, going up to them afterwards and kind of doing that own research? Or is this something that you're like, you know what, I'm going to give... X thousand dollars to this person to manage on my behalf. And I think that's just a personal choice. There's no right or wrong, but you don't really know until you do it. And so I just always say, go to a couple of events, experience, get, get, get a feel of the energy of the sector, watch Shark Tank, you know, just be like, what, do I like this? Or is this really about finance, financial asset allocation, in which case then I can just give my money to a fund manager. So that's yeah. one question I ask. And then after that point, then it is kind of a spectrum, which is how much control do you want to have over your investment? Do you want to have no control? Do you want to be able to vote? Or do you want to have you know, complete control over where that $25,000 or a million dollars goes, um, depending on the size of the checkbook? Shark Tank, good for culture by exposing more people to it or terrifying for culture? So Shark Tank to me is really good for one thing, and that is publicity. So if you are a startup that your you know, consumers are your customer, I think it is fantastic to go on there. I think for almost every other reason, it's kind of terrifying. And what's happened it is it means that everybody thinks that they can be a founder and everybody thinks that they can be an investor. Because they think being an investor is hearing pitches and I think yelling at founders. I think that's what they think really <laughs> So it's really, really concerning on that sense. And Shark Tank is one of the many, many reasons why you've seen angel investing, seed investing, early stage investing blow up in the last five years. And there is definitely too much money in the ecosystem. Everybody I would say that, I think even the founders. What, what has caused more early stage investing dollars to flow, uh, Shark Tank or really low interest rates? Like, do, do you have a really wonky reason yeah. or a very narrative reason? I would say um, the bull market that we're, we're all luckily benefiting from right now is there's just a lot of money in the ecosystem. So that's one reason, which is very related to interest rates. The other thing, you know, the more technical reason is that what's happening is if you look at, you know, the pension funds, right, because interest rates have gone down, the pension funds need ways to have higher returns. And so, the, I mean, the fact that pensions are investing in venture to me is horrifying um, and family offices. And so it's kind of pushing right. all this money downstream. And that's why we are where we are. Thank you for that brief Shark Tank diversion. I, I'm, I'm fixated that there's no way that a generation from now, we don't look at that as an incredible, it's going to be one of those moments that will signal something of our era. So if nothing else, I think it's it's representative of something and we're learning what that is. Somebody um, told me recently that a really good lagging indicator is something about Uber drivers. And I realized, oh my gosh, I've been pitched by three Uber drivers in the last couple of months. And I do think it's like the sign of the end, right? The, the end right. is coming. I'm getting pitched by Uber drivers. The, the one bit that I'll linger on is we, we know we are generations deep in declining rates of entrepreneurship. Um, and so I, I've, I feel this tension of, well, gosh, I do think some of that publicity allows for demystification. And that, for me, does feel important. And that is what mass media can be good at. It, it worries me because, you, as you're saying, it's like, what is the signal that's coming out? But, man, I do want it to not be seen as only rich white men are entrepreneurs. Like, right. there is a really powerful story coming out of accessibility, uh, whether that can happen on network TV is a really complicated question. 
Right. And I do think that the accessibility of entrepreneurship is wonderful. The fact that you that people do feel very empowered to be an entrepreneur, I think, is fantastic. However, because there's so much money in seed stage, what's happening is there's a lot of false positives. And so like a statistic that's really scary for me is that I think five or 10 years ago, uh, the percentage of people who raised their first round of capital and then who could raise their second round of capital, it was like one in three. So if you raise some money from some smart angels, you, know, you have like a one in three chance of raising a, a, a sizable next round that number has dropped below 10%, meaning wow. that 93% of people who could raise a million dollars from somebody can't raise that next round. And that's a false positive. And you know who pays the price is that entrepreneur who's now wasted two years of their life on an idea that isn't viable and that somebody should have told them to pivot much earlier. And that to me is very concerning. So great segue. You, you, you know, I've seen you, you when you founded 37 Angels, part of your story was you wanted to build a network that was something that you would want to pitch as a founder. So, all right, what, 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 how are you approaching that to actually help founders, you know, maybe not fall down that same trap? What does it mean to be at the kind of place that you would want to pitch? Yeah, so um, I break it down into three things. The first thing, and by far the most important, which sounds it's going to sound silly when I say it, which is to be really efficient. And so we are, yeah. I believe, the only angel network that guarantees from pitch to funding, we'll get back to you in four weeks. And that's because the one thing none of us have enough of is time. And I think investors love to say maybe. We'd love to say, hey, it's too early to come back in three months. And we try really, really hard to never say that to a founder, which leads us to our second thing, which is transparent, right? So if it's a no, it's a no. And and we, we're like, so then you can go talk to somebody else, right? It's like being strung along when you're dating. That's like the worst thing that can happen. It's yeah. so much better if someone's like, look, not interested and never will be interested. And so we try to be kind but firm in that way. And then the third thing is helpful. About half of our network were former founders. And so we try to add value from the very beginning um, by giving guidance, hopefully when it's when it's wanted, but by being efficient, transparent, and helpful. It's why we get the deal flow that we do, even though we are not, we're very rarely the largest check it around, but I think we get the deal flow and the access that we do because of that reputation we have. Yeah. So you teach in at Columbia, you, you've you know, done your 37 Angels work, you, your own network is, is clearly valuable in, in giving out edu education. People want to join this this community, but you've also shared that we've had a flood of, of cash in the last 10 to 15 years into this place. Is it too late or is it foolish if someone, let's say a high net worth individual wants to consider this as part of um, their strategy? Are they just silly? Absolutely not. Uh, I think that it's not, this isn't something where it's ever going to be too late. I mean, I think it might be too late for Bitcoin, but for most of these things, I don't think, <laughs> you know, like you miss some giant wave. I think it's just about being really discerning. So not surprisingly, I'm a big fan of education, right? So there's a reason why 37 Angels offers an investment bootcamp that teaches you how to do this. So you're not making kind of some easy errors that are easy to prevent early on. So certainly education, the same thing, the second thing is just to form, join some sort of network, whether that's an angel group, whether that's you and four friends who are going to go to these pitch forums together, or, you know, find a group that you can learn from, ask each other the tough questions so you're not going it totally alone. Um, and then do, if you're going to invest your money in a fund, do your diligence on that fund manager, right? So you want to know their track record, but also these days, I think you should ask yourself the question, which is where do you want your money to be focused, right? So, is there a certain uh, demographic of founder you want to invest in? So Defy Ventures only invests in formerly incarcerated founders. Um, X Factor Ventures only invests in female founders. Um, there are 
Gangels only invests in founders that are, you know, of the LGBT community. So that's one area. Or you could say from a sector focus, I only want to invest in cannabis or only want to invest in health tech or active aging or whatever the case may be. Um, And so I think that early stage investing, your dollar has so much impact and you should choose where you want to have that impact. And this goes, I think we have this theme here in this portion of, in, in this conversation around um, the difference between fashionable ups and downs and what is just long-term bets in the future. We can have recessionary signals over the next year or more. Your point here is if you're building for some much longer future, if you are going an angel route, if you want to take on that autonomy and you just believe there's a future to be had in the long term, um, it sounds like some advice you're having there is you, you have to take that entrepreneurial mindset on, on what you want to see that future look like. And that isn't yeah. timely about whether a, you know, a blip on the radar economically comes through or not. Absolutely. And the nice thing is, yes, a lot of people believe that venture is a little bit bubbly right now, frothy, whatever term you want to use. But the great news is, is the data does actually show that funds that start in a downturn actually do better. So mm-hmm. you could also argue that now's a great time to join. But what I would say is it's never a bad time to enter in a discerning and educated way. I like that. Yep. I like that. So, okay. So you've had your conversation, you had your lunch with this person who, you know, let's say has done a 37 angels investor bootcamp. They've, they've seen a lecture from you. They obviously listen to this podcast and they are like, all right, I, I want to go down this, this pathway and I'm going to go down the angel route. Um, uh, favorite first steps that perhaps are things you commonly say, or, or even ones you just want that friend of yours after lunch to make sure they're doing. Yeah. So I'm learning and then engaging with the network, right? So from a learning perspective, um, in addition to our bootcamp, you know, read Brad Feld's venture deals, read Brad Feld's blog, read venture <laughs> hacks, read, um, uh, I'd love, um, Fred Wilson's blog name. It's such a good name, which is avc.com. It's so simple, right? So there's a lot of these readings, um, that you can go into. And by the way, we have them all listed on our website under resources. So just, Read prolifically. And I think around learning, it's, again, really important to find someone to read with. Because sometimes you read an article and you're like frantically Googling what what the 17 terms are that you don't mean. But that can be sometimes hard to do in a vacuum. And I find having a friend almost like a book club to say, we're going to read an article (laughs) once a week and we're going to talk. We're going to be like, do you really know what the difference is between augmented reality and virtual reality? What is this Bitcoin thing? Let's try to find a nice explainer video on YouTube that's going to tell us. I think that's such a great way to learn with somebody else. Um, and kind of it forces you to give each other homework. There's also some great podcast, Masters of Scale, Full Ratchet. So again, big believer of educating yourself and arming yourself with that language. And then once you feel ready, just start going to events. In any kind of major city these days, There's there's got to be some startup event newsletter. Go and start to hear the language and then keep a little notebook. And let's say you hear five pitches. Say, what do you think about their team? What do you think about the market they're playing? And what do you think about their product? And would you invest, right? This is all fake monopoly money anyway, but start to keep that notebook. And then over time, you're going to start to build that nose and that gut around investing before you put any real capital. And I I really think it's important that you hear at least 25 pitches, if not 100, before you write first check, just so you start to get, again, develop that gut and that pattern recognition. One of the brilliant outcomes of of the web so many terrible things but one of the amazing things is how much access to information we have you're alluding to it 
um, brilliant people, yourself included, constantly putting out wisdom and knowledge. We can all raise our standards faster. Uh, I think the we're bumping into this um, reality of how hard even it is to to get conventional wisdom to recognize when that advice we were being given is deployable now. And so I, I like stories when people, um, particularly when they're early on, got something wrong, even if they they knew this is an example of advice I should do otherwise. I, do, you, do you do you remember any early deals you worked on and and you made a mistake? And you're like, gosh, that that was something I know I wasn't supposed to do. What are you or, talking or... about? I've been a perfect investor. <laughs> no, exactly. You read the blog post and you did all of it. Um, have you? Do you remember times like getting it wrong? You're like, man, that's that's the thing I was supposed to be avoiding. Yeah. So I have so many stories, but I'll I'll take a couple. <laughs> so I think one that. I got wrong was really a lot of my like mistakes tend to come down to people, right? I meet a founder and I'm like, Oh my God, this is the most brilliant technology. You're (laughs) in a fast growing space. That's going to the moon. You know what though? I'm, I have a little bit of question about you. Maybe it's your ability to lead. Maybe it's your ability to hire. Maybe it's your somewhat questionable sales tactics. And, And you kind of make a little bit of a concession on the person because the space of the technology is so exciting and every time I've made that mistake, I have regretted it later, both financially, personally, ethically, in every single way. And that, that's true for hiring as well. I think that when there's something in your gut saying, oh, you shouldn't hire that person, it's so much easier to not hire someone than to have to fire somebody later. And so for me, it's just these days, I'm uh, my rule of thumb is when investing from a founder perspective, in terms of the team, if it's not a hell yes, I won't invest. I can be like a little bit questioned, like, is the market size large enough? Is it growing fast enough? Like that I can take a haircut on. But if I'm not emphatically behind that founder, I will walk away from that deal 10 times out of 10. And it's a it's a perfect story because we anyone who had never invested a dollar could say the words, I'm supposed to invest in people. But yeah. you're looking to that, like in that moment, it's so that's that's an ideal example. I think about that so often. Um I know that same logic for hiring, that in the moment, there are so many data points and small details that can easily distract you from what you know is your overall North Star. So that that's a clear point you're, you're pushing on. And that comes with experience, I imagine, right? That, that I imagine the, the deeper and more experienced like someone like you are, that, that's, I imagine, easier than it was when you were beginning. Yeah. Because especially in the beginning, you, there's a little bit of like, oh, if I don't get into this deal, like it's 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 running away. And now that I've heard, I don't know, 15,000 pitches, it's like, okay, there's always going to be another founder to invest in. And so um, there's less of that sense of scarcity that I think there might have been when I first started. Perfect. I, I want to know what's a question that you wish more investors asked as they were getting to know a founder or a company? Yeah, I think the simplest and highest ROI question you can ask a founder is, how did you come up with that number? It's like such a simple question. <laughs> but literally, if you just ask it three times in any deck, you very quickly figure out, is this founder, is there a there behind what they're talking about? Like, how did you come up with that churn number? Oh, I looked it up on HubSpot versus, no, 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 I've tracked data for the last, you know, six months. And I, and, you know, I know that our churn rate is 8%, blah, blah, blah. And like, what are the top three reasons why people churn, right? Just asking people to know their numbers and like, how did you come up with that number? How did you come up with that assumption? It's, it is so illuminating when someone does and doesn't have true insight behind whatever number is on that pretty Excel spreadsheet or that beautiful slide. Yeah. 
what what's something and this might be kind of similar but what's something you wish you knew when you were first starting is there a is there a look back lesson that you would most want to take with you yeah i think something that i didn't realize when i first started is how draining emotionally it can be to say no constantly right so we look at over 2000 deals a year and we invest in 10 which right. means i'm saying no you know, hundreds of times a month. And uh, that, what's interesting is that I've now, you know, been angel investing for over a decade. It has not gotten any easier. And I, I think <laughs> I just didn't realize there, there is like a, a slight jadedness effect where like you like hear all these ideas and it's, I, I do feel like I'm, I'm less like bright eyed than I was when I started doing this because <laughs> I've just heard so many pitches and unfortunately have seen so many failures. That said, I'm actually glad that it's still hard for me to say no to founders because it means I still care about the founder. I think that the day that I'm like, you know what? I don't care at all. I feel no pain at crushing your hopes and dreams. That's why I need to leave the industry because it means that I, I just truly don't care anymore. But it's still super painful for me to say no to a founder that, you know, I'm like, I, I believe in you, but like just not this idea. Um, and, and that's super tough and something I didn't know getting into this. That's perfect. Angela, thank you so much for your time and for having a conversation with us today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, see, that's interesting to me. We hear a lot about how entrepreneurs have to get used to hearing no, but you don't hear as much about the investors being drained from saying no. And, and it's an important bit of a reminder. This is full of emotional labor, even if you are looking only at spreadsheets. At some point, particularly as an individual investor, you're going to have one-to-one -one relationships with those who are pitching you. Mm. Something that I took away from my conversation with Angela is how investing is part of a giant economic system and a matter of finance that can sound very inhuman, but it's shaped by these really long macroeconomic trends. So like, bear with me, Abby. I'm, I'm right here, I'm with you. <laughs> we want Americans to benefit from economic success. So you could say that when more pension fund managers contribute to ever bigger early stage investment funds, more Americans are getting a tiny slice of private market business growth. But as Angela says, too much money, which usually comes with a lot more investment, that can lead to bubbles. So isn't that an inherent paradox then? Like just when enough people are aware of this sort of thing, it's already too late. That bit about her getting business pitches from Uber drivers struck a chord with me. Yeah, paradox, maybe. I, I think also we, we just know and have to keep reinforcing unless you have a really contrarian worldview that you are betting on, or if you're some real insider looking at a particular corner of the economy, very, very, very few investors will ever get better returns than what a good index fund can manage. But you can shape the world you want to see with returns as part of the plan. Well, that's a great segue into the fact that this is becoming a clear theme of this podcast that I'm seeing come through. Uh, well, thank you, Abby. Oh, I mean, just eloquently put as always, Christopher. Well, that's this episode of Off the Sidelines, produced by Technically with support from Project Entrepreneur, a program sponsored by UBS. If you have questions that you want answered, please tweet at us at technical underscore ly. Or me at Christopher Wink. How about this? 
would you pretty, pretty, pretty please leave this podcast a review? Oh, Chris. Oh, Chris. Haven't you learned anything <laughs> no? from pitching investors? You sound desperate. All right, fine. Keep it together. Make sure you to subscribe to Off the Sidelines on all your podcast platforms of choice. The music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you, as always, for listening, and join us next time. <laughs>